0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 4. We know that an idol stands for something that does not really exist. We know that there is only one God. Even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and even though there are many of these gods and lords, yet there is for us only one God, the Father, who is the creator of all things and for whom we live. And there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created, and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this truth. And the second reading is from Christ's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you are my followers. BE HAPPY AND GLAD, FOR A GREAT REWARD IS KEPT FOR YOU IN HEAVEN. THIS IS HOW THE PROPHETS WHO LIVED BEFORE YOU WERE PERSECUTED. WHAT A PRIVILEGE IT IS TO WORSHIP THE LORD HERE THIS MORNING. WHAT A PRIVILEGE IT IS TO WORSHIP THE LORD AT ANY TIME, ANYWHERE, IN THIS GREAT LAND. HOW MANY PEOPLE IN THE WORLD HAVE THIS PRIVILEGE? IN HOW MANY LANDS HAS THIS PRIVILEGE BEEN LOST? How can we make sure that the freedom to worship is not lost in our land? To what kinds of persecution should we keep our eyes wide open? In the next 30 minutes or so, Mrs. Trinkline and I will give you some answers to these questions. In pictures and sounds from around the world, we will experience the enthusiastic worship of people who have come to know the Lord quite recently In other places, we will see the dangers of indifference. And behind the Iron Curtain, we get a glimpse of open hostility to the Lord. As we head westward across the United States and out over the Pacific Ocean, our first stop some 10 hours later is the beautiful island of Bora Bora. This island paradise near the equator was inhabited by a tribe of people some centuries ago who worshiped heathen gods. And here we are shown an altar where we were told human sacrifices were conducted. But thanks to the coming of the gospel, we now see on this idyllic island places of worship where a familiar Christian steeple points heavenward. So after our jet refuels, we reluctantly leave and we head southwestward over the equator to the subcontinent of Australia. We are now as far from New York as it is possible to go on this planet and the scenery in this so-called Australian outback looks far out indeed. Ayers Rock, a giant monolith that juts some 1,100 feet out of the desert, is six miles in circumference, and the temperature on this site because of the changing uh, amount of sunshine that reaches it during the day and evening can vary as much as 70 degrees. The ancient Aborigines used Ayers Rock as a place of worship. And in the base of this monolith, we see carved the images of lizard men and leopard men that served as the idols of the Aborigines. Listen as the modern descendants of these people play a musical instrument called the didgeridoo. It's interesting that Christianity came to Australia with convicts who were sent here by the British government in the 19th century. In this little church, an artist has expressed his love for his savior by single-handedly decorating the interior of the church with scenes from the life of the savior. a short plane ride and we are in the island nation of New Zealand, the southernmost landmass in the eastern hemisphere before you reach Antarctica. The natives here are called Maoris. They came here centuries ago in giant canoes and we see that reenacted here by modern Maoris. One of the gods the Maoris worshipped had the unusual habit of sticking his tongue off. And today's Maoris like to reenact that particular characteristic with enthusiasm. Now listen as our Maori guide tells us about the coming of Christianity to this land.
1: Christianity was brought by your people to me, to the Maori, which we have accepted And you'll find that today, that church, which is a Maori church, caters not only for the Maori people, you'll find that a lot of European people go there for their services as well.
0: On the inside of this Maori church, we see a beautiful etching on a clear glass window that looks like Jesus is literally walking on the water of the lake outside the church. Notice that the features of Jesus and his robe are distinctly Maori, but that the scene and the story is the same familiar one that we enjoy in our own Bible.
2: Moving westward across the Indian Ocean to the continent of Africa, we transfer from the superjet that brought us to Nairobi to the small planes that can land on tiny remote airstrips. Our eclipse camp, the Crescent of Green Tents, was set up on the center of the eclipse path, hundreds of miles from the nearest town. Crocodile-infested Lake Rudolph is visible on the right. We learned of the ancient El Molo tribe living on an island of volcanic ash in Lake Rudolph and made plans to visit them. We could see their huts in the distance as we examined this rubber dinghy to see if it could carry us there we finally reached the island in the small outboard motorboat on the right el molo children greeted us and we observed the crude rafts which give residents access to the mainland as we turned toward the village the only building not made of straw and dung was a tiny shack put up by orientals who were there to study the el molo's reaction to the eclipse as we moved closer We were amazed to discover that these people, who live in this barren wasteland with none of the modern conveniences we have come to consider necessities, seem content and at peace with each other and with the world around them. We learned that missionaries had come to teach them the love of God, as well as to enrich their daily lives on a more practical level. The Omolo's diet, consisting of a mixture of goat's blood and goat's milk, was greatly improved when the missionaries taught them that fish are edible. The lake is full of enormous lake perch, weighing up to 200 pounds. So now the men crowd into this rowboat, grateful for the bounty of God, as they go out to catch their evening meal. Back in camp, young members of the staff, whose fathers were of the Maasai tribe and had several wives, proudly told us that they were Christians and would each have only one wife. Swahili is the native tongue here. David and Peter have learned English. If you listen carefully, you will hear a universal worship word as David sings the song we sang at the beginning of this service.
1: I'm Mr. David, son of Bala. I'm come by, I'm, I'm, I'm come by clan. Now I'm going to sing a song for you. And that would be for Swahili to praise the Lord. was at home.
2: Located on an oasis not many miles from our campsite The priest with dr. Trinkline is a man of great faith and courage He came to replace another priest who had been murdered by marauding heathen tribes This fine mission church which was filled overflowing during the Sunday morning worship stands as a result of their heroic efforts Listen to the familiar hymn nearer my God to thee sung in Swahili in this very church as we show you the interior of it and then some other churches in the capital city of Nairobi. to move northward into Europe, where worship styles are more traditional, part of the fabric of life over the centuries. In fact, worship in rural areas of Germany is so central to village life that signs are posted at the outskirts to inform all visitors when worship services are held. The purple churches represent Protestant congregations and the gold ones Catholic. The church spire is usually the highest point in town. Roadside shrines like this one encourage praying without ceasing as the bible recommends and this energetic dignified couple are good examples of the ongoing benefits of the truly good life vizkirche as this one is aptly named means the church in the meadow the interior is fabulously ornate and lovingly preserved the doors of eternity at the top of this picture serve as an ever-present reminder that this life is but a short journey to the gates of eternity. Unfortunately, worship can become ritualistic and almost meaningless. Materialism and spiritual apathy can cause faith to wither and die. Here in Germany, where there is a state church, we find evidences of these dangers. This beautiful cathedral in Cologne points to heaven, but its immense towering nave is seldom filled because human nature tends to take old blessings for granted, assuming that there will always be more time for worship later when they are older. From the highest steeple in the world, on the Cathedral of Om, beautiful bells ring out to invite the people to worship. Wilhelm Cathedral was left standing to remind the world of the horrors of war just beyond it the tall tower topped by a gleaming cross serves as a new place of worship however we learned that state churches which require no sacrifice or commitment on the part of the parishioners since they are tax supported lack the warmth and loving sense of community that's so basic to the growth of spiritual values even though ancient irreplaceable mosaics are being carefully preserved. All too often we do not appreciate the value of something until we have lost it, or it has been taken away by force. This drawing represents just that kind of action, the infamous Berlin Wall. It is undoubtedly the ugliest, most depressing sight we have ever seen. It was built by communists in 1962 to stop the flow of people out of communist held East Berlin on the right into free West Berlin on the left. The original wall was necessarily crude, since it was so hastily built, literally overnight. This was accomplished by bricking up windows, as you see here, and piling concrete barricades in the open spaces between buildings. From the very first, frantic escapes have been attempted, and graves along the wall stand in silent protest to the cruelty and repression of the communist regime. Now the only access is through heavily guarded checkpoints, where a series of iron gates halt all traffic as armed soldiers check passports, car trunks, and use large mirrors on wheels to check the underside of all vehicles in case someone is desperate enough to hang on there in order to escape. Armed guards are everywhere, not only at the checkpoints, but in the large lookout towers that are posted all along the walls. Originally, a platform only five steps high allowed visitors to see beyond the wall into the prison of East Berlin. But now there are at least four times as many steps required in that same spot to see over the new, improved wall. The communists have tried to make the wall more civilized and palatable by cementing it smoothly and capping it neatly. But the horrors of tank barricades barbed wire, and wide grassy areas heavily mined with explosives are forceful reminders of the kind of entrapment sanctioned by a godless regime of terror new graves continue to be added as brave people who yearn to be free still try even in the face of these seemingly insurmountable odds to escape just beyond the wall and death strip in east berlin near this old german lutheran church the Russians have erected a huge TV tower to try to overcome their bad image by beaming communist propaganda into the surrounding area. Ironically, and much to the dismay of the humanistic builders, this very tower reflects the seven sun in the form of the cross they despise so much, the very same cross that has brought peace and freedom wherever its message is accepted.
0: Now we move deeper into the land of atheistic communism, where we immediately remember and wish for the material blessings of home. This broken Aeroflot airliner at the Moscow airport is a grim symbol of the austere and joyless flights we had in Russia. Eight hours later, we are in the town of Prats in central Siberia, near the Mongolian border, and we board the boat at the left for a three hour trip to the site that has been chosen for us by the Soviet government to view last summer's total solar eclipse. Notice that the communists are not too optimistic about whether we will see the eclipse at all. Soviet officers are everywhere, and here they look at partial phases of the eclipse in smoked glass, and are also near liquid refreshments. A total solar eclipse is one of the most awesome and dramatic examples of the power and love of God that you can ever see. And we are so fortunate to be able to see it on this earth at all because from no other planet in the solar system is this sight visible. The pink around the outside of the covered sun are explosions in the sun's atmosphere and the white surrounding butterfly shaped layer is the corona which extends as far as the earth. It is during times of total solar eclipse that we can get a closer look at the workings of the sun than at any other time. After the eclipse, which lasts only a few minutes, we're back at our dock for the return trip on the boat to Bratsk. Downtown Bratsk, which is a relatively recent city that was built for the erection of a giant hydroelectric plant, has the ever-present picture of Lenin in its downtown area and Lenin keeps a sharp eye, literally, through agents on all tourists and movements in this city in Siberia. But the shrine of communism is, of course, the Kremlin. In this National Geographic drawing of the Kremlin, we see the walls in this triangular plot of land, enclosing a great many churches and cathedrals. The Kremlin uh, encompasses only 65 acres, which is about twice the size of our Lutheran High School campus. And as you approach the Kremlin walls, the towering cathedral towers are overbearing. It is an unusual thing that the Kremlin uh, still has these structures in it, that the communists have permitted them to stand. We enter the Kremlin through the gate called Trinity, but you'll observe that the tower of this gate has a star on it and not the Christian cross that it once had. Our guide here through the Kremlin and throughout Russia is the girl at the center whose name was Lena. She's talking to us here in front of the largest bell in the world, which has never been rung. It weighs over 200 tons, and right after it was completed, a piece fell out of it and broke out that weighed over 11 tons. Lena was very knowledgeable about the history of her land and also about its religion of the past in the reign of the tsars told us that this cathedral, for example, was the place where the Tsars were crowned. Its five beautiful golden domes still have on top of them the Christian cross, which the communists, of course, are trying to replace with their own ideology. The interior of this cathedral is breathtaking in its Christian symbolism. paintings on the interior of the cathedral are carefully preserved and restored and it is ironic to see a workman in this atheistic country putting careful finishing restoring touches on a painting of the Madonna and Child This is where the czars were married, and you'll notice that there are two staircases here: a broad one at the right, entering the cathedral, and a narrow one at the left. Listen to Lena explain how this came to be.
1: Ivan the Terrible was married eight times. Uh, so, uh, when he was uh, getting married for the first time. He was excommunicated from the church for two years. It was a religious punishment. But uh, for a Russian of that time and for a Tsar, it was impossible not to go to church for two years. So he found, he was a very clever man, he found a way out. He ordered the staircase be added to the cathedral and usually during the services he would climb the staircase not entering the cathedral but still being present actually at the service. So the rules were observed and uh, actually he was not, he didn't feel excommunicated.
0: Inside the cathedral, cathedral again, we see uh, gems studying a Bible cover and rich in religious symbolism. A third cathedral in the Kremlin is the one in which the Tsars are buried. More than 40 former Russian rulers are entombed here. Once again we see the Christian crosses that have been left but not as a place of worship but merely as a museum. Inside we see an interesting example of the difference between Eastern and Western Christian art. In the Western world, we are used to a great deal of statuary in our churches and stained glass windows. In Eastern churches, you see predominantly flat tapestries and paintings that are referred to as icons. The gates uh, inside this cathedral are gold-covered and, again, uh, rich in symbolic presentations of Bible stories. Also inside the Kremlin is a large museum called the Armory, which contains much of the wealth of the czars that you see being admired here by natives of Russia, and which houses also this very beautiful crown that was used for more than 200 years for the coronation of the czars. The cross on top has pearls at its ends. The center of the cross is gold, embedded with jewels, and the bottom is lined in sable. A cassock on display in this church shows the figure of the crucified Christ and of other saints outlined by pearls. Even the modern structures in the Kremlin, such as the Hall of Congresses, in which the Soviet government holds its meetings every five years to plan the future course of the country cannot escape the reflections that show the Christian past of this land. Outside the Kremlin walls is Red Square, and even that is dominated by a giant cathedral, St. Basil's, which is of course also a museum now, but the Christian crosses again are as prominent as ever before. When you turn around from St. Basil's Cathedral, you face the real shrine of communism, the mausoleum, that low red structure at the right in which Lenin is entombed. The entrance to the tomb is guarded by two soldiers who are replaced every hour on the hour by a new squad of men. And if you stand in line for up to three hours, this is what you will see on the inside. The body of Lenin, who, who died in 1924 and whose body has been preserved ever since here with running ice water, so that people can uh, pay homage to this figure that is, according to the Soviets, replacing the teachings of the Bible. At one time, Stalin was also entombed in the mausoleum, but after he fell from favor, some ten or so years after his death, he was moved to this plot behind the Kremlin walls, and not even a statue marks his grave in the foreground. An indication of the uh, disrespect accorded to Christian religion in modern Russia is this convent in Moscow that is an empty shell now, and the landscaping is complete disrepair. And instead of the fullness and richness of life that was promised in the Russian Revolution and in many five-year plans since, we see the ever-present lines of people who are waiting to buy scarce commodities and food. Our round-the-world trip is almost over now. In Bora Bora, Australia, New Zealand, and Kenya, we saw examples of exuberant worship, which is typical of new Christianity. In Western Europe, we saw the dangers of a state church and of long-standing rituals in Christian worship. And in Russia, we witnessed the repression of worship. But that is a rather sad note on which to end our presentation. This overbearing giant depiction of Lenin is hardly the image we want to take with us in this short description of worship around the world. So in closing, Mrs. Trinkline will show you a land where many people see the need to keep worship as alive and fresh as that of a new convert.
2: refreshing in Norway to find beautiful old stave churches still used for worship services. At this one, we were greeted by Lutheran nuns from the sisterhood of Mary. We will let them speak for themselves as we continue to show you pictures of other churches and natural wonders of this beautiful land.
1: Well, we are very happy to have seen you here at this old church. And uh, we would like to sing you a song now before you are leaving this place. We just want to tell you that we are invited here by the minister of this church because it's so much on his heart that uh, this old church shouldn't just be a museum but a living church. So he wants us to um, welcome the tourists with a song or with with those uh, pamphlets which we have also given to you. And now we want to sing a song which is one of our favorite songs. Who makes us happy? Jesus has you. It makes us happy, Jesus, as you. Therefore my heart rejoices in you. Jesus, oh child, I hate the Lord now. Jesus, my wellspring of joy heaven knew. Heaven's great joy I do as comes through you. Jesus, oh child, I Before you are going on uh, on your trip, you know the Norwegian roads may be very narrow and a bit steep now and then. You need protection, don't you, on your way? And we want to sing a verse of protection to do pray to the Lord that He will protect you on your way. Father, now Father, protect them. That's the word right. Father, protect.
0: eyes wide open to the cross and the persecuted. Persecution takes many forms. As we have just seen, it can take the form of a frontal attack of atheism as in the USSR. It can take the form of the deadening effect of indifference and of mechanical ritual. And it can take the form, as it does so often in our own country, of insidious, humanism and its appeal to pride and rationalism. Lord, give us the enthusiasm of a new convert and the courage to withstand persecution in all its forms so that this country will not lose the freedom to worship you. Okay. Change points. All right. All right. Well, at the beginning then of each one say that, just like you just said it to me. And then quote if you want to. So that they know what they're listening to. So do they know what they're listening for? Yes. Yes, and then read, yes. She called that. Yeah, you could now. Change points is a term that she made up. Then you say that what she calls change points. Yeah, you don't have to say bestseller book, you know. Just say you're a best seller. Well no, don't say book. Just say bestseller, it's redundant. Well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have to say all that again. You don't have to say, see. That's that's filling because you're saying what she said. That's important. Yeah, I would. And by the title, by the way, is of the same name. You don't have to say of the same. Uh, yeah. Come on. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay, that's good. hmm Why say, in my view? You say, in my view? Yeah. And at the beginning, where you mention him again, I think you need uh, to say something about what his point is, instead of letting him hang there. Huh? Yeah, what he, yeah, otherwise, they just wonder now, when is it getting to the main point? That's correct, you say that in the beginning. It's plenty long on Dobson. I think think you can uh, take some redundancy out of there, too. Or just leave all the introductory uh, words out and just say the thing in each case. But otherwise, that's pretty good. Okay. Okay. That's. Are you still quoting Dobson? Yeah. Well, that's plenty long, again, that quotation. Now, are you adding challenges to the four you just said? Okay, but you're speaking now. Okay. Just a minute. Are you in the second part of your speech now, where you're elaborating on the last point of Thompson's, right? Okay. You should say that, because at the beginning you mentioned that you would do three things. You would present some challenges, elaborate on one of them, and present some solutions. So at the beginning of where you... That's correct. After you finish the quotation from him. Yes. Now, you, so, so that, well, something to that effect. So that they know you're in part two of your speech, because everybody follows that and says, she's got three parts, and I'll only smoke whenever we get into the second part, say, so that they know you're moving along. Well, you can now... You can even say now in in the second, or whatever you call the parts before, and now as a second part of the presentation or something, like I'd like to elaborate, yeah, you might even yeah so you might even in the beginning, you might even say, first, I will present uh, several challenges, then I will elaborate them, and then finally, I will present so that they know it's one, two, three. you could even say first, second, and third. So that as soon as you finish Dobson, I would say a quotation after you finish the quotation is to say, um, those are whatever you call it in the beginning there. That is a quick list of some of the challenges. Now, in the second part uh, or something like that, uh, now for the second part of the presentation or whatever, let me elect Well, I've told you to cut off quite a bit already. Yeah. Okay, you mean you've still got 40 minutes to go? Yeah.